Hello there, beer drinkers and hellraisers. Actually, I doubt that you are mostly beer drinkers and hellraisers, but I just heard that the bassist from ZZ Top passed away, so that's my little tribute to the bassist from ZZ Top. So, in the last week or so, I guess a week, two different people asked me to comment about a specific uh, piece of writing and the piece of writing is called An Experience of Enlightenment, and the author is Flora Courtois, C-O-U-R-T-O-I-S, Courtois, Courtois. And there is a, a podcast from the Rochester Zen Center, and maybe this is the inspiration for, for uh, people asking me about this, that came out in June in which someone from... Uh, someone from New Zealand, she has a strong New Zealand accent, uh, reads most of the the relevant passages from the book. I tried to find the book uh, just to see what I could find, and uh, all I can find is one copy that's sitting on Amazon, a used copy for $125, which is a bit steep for me. It only came out in 1986, which is not, I mean, not that recently, but it's not prehistoric. Uh, so you'd think you could find a copy for less than $125. If anybody knows, please tell me if you can if you know where to find a copy of uh, Flora Courtois, An Experience of Enlightenment. I'd be interested in getting a copy. So from what I could gather by listening to the podcast and doing a bit of research on the Internet and uh, finding uh, one passage of the book that was actually printed, you say printed in, on the Internet, it seems like Flora Courtois was, she was one of the founders, apparently, of the Zen Center of Los Angeles, uh, along with Maizumi Roshi, and she had these experiences. When I first started listening to this, knowing the book was published in 1986, I assumed she'd had these experiences in the 80s. No, apparently she'd had some very profound sort of mystical experiences probably in the 1940s from what I can gather. Uh, she's an American woman from Ann Arbor, Michigan, who had no particular background or training in Zen or any sort of mystical tradition, and she just had these experiences, and she eventually found a Zen teacher, uh, I guess, I'm not sure if it's Maizumi or, or Yasutani Roshi, anyway, maybe somebody can tell me, but, but a Japanese Zen teacher who was apparently in, in America at the time, and then kind of went on into the path of Zen. So people had asked me to comment on these experiences that are recorded in the book, so I would like to read you one. There's sort of three major mystical experiences, and the last one is the longest one, so um, let me just try to get through this and, and then see if I can comment without making this video too long. I went home to Detroit to spend a week with my parents. This is around Easter. I think she's maybe a college student. There, about three days later, alone in my room, sitting quietly on the edge of my bed and gazing at a small desk, not thinking of anything at all, in a moment too short to measure, the universe changed on its axis, axis and my search was over. The small, pale green desk, which I'd been so thoughtlessly gazing at, had totally and radically changed. It appeared now with a clarity, a depth of three-dimensionality, a freshness I had never imagined possible. At the same time, in a way that is utterly indescribable, all of my questions and doubts were gone as effortlessly as chaff in the wind. I knew everything and all at once, yet not in the sense that I had ever known anything before. 
All things were still the same in my little bedroom, yet totally changed. Still sitting in wonder on the edge of my narrow bed, one of the first things I realized was that the focus of my sight seemed to have changed. It had sharpened to an infinitely small point which moved ceaselessly in paths totally free of the old accustomed ones, as if flowing from a new source. What on earth had happened? So released from all tension, so ecstatically light did I feel, I seemed to float down the hall to the bathroom to look at my face in the mottled mirror over the sink. The pupils of my eyes were dark, dilated, and, and brimming with mirth. With a wondrous relief, I began to laugh as I'd never laughed before, from the soles of my feet upward. Within a few days, I had returned to Ann Arbor, and there, over a period of many months, there took place a ripening, a deepening, and unfolding of this experience which filled me with wonder and gratitude at every moment. The foundations had fallen from my world. I had plunged into a numinous openness which had obliterated all fixed distinctions, including that of within and without. A presence had absorbed the universe, including myself, and to this I surrendered in absolute confidence. Often without any particular direction in mind, I found myself outside running along the street in joyous abandon. Sometimes when alone, I simply danced as freely as I did as a child. The whole world seemed to have reversed itself, to have turned outside in. Activity flowed simply and effortlessly, and to my amazement, seemingly without thought, instead of following my old sequence of learning, thinking, planning, then acting, action had taken precedence, and whatever was learned was surprisingly incidental, yet nothing ever seemed to go out of bounds. There was no alternation between self-control and letting go, but rather a perfect rightness and spontaneity to all this flowing activity. This new kind of knowing was so pure and unadorned, so delicate, that nothing in language of my past could express it. Neither sense nor feeling nor imagination contained it, yet all were contained in it. In some indefinable way, I knew with absolute certainty the changeless unity and harmony in charge of the universe and the inseparability of all seeming opposites. It was as if before all this had occurred, I had been a fixed point inside my head looking out at the world out there, a separate, comparatively flat world. The periphery of awareness had now come to light, yet neither fixed periphery nor center existed as such. A paradoxical quality seemed to permeate all existence. Feeling myself centered as never before, at the same time I knew the whole universe to be centered at every point. Having plunged into the center of emptiness, having lost all purposefulness in the old sense, I had never felt so one-pointed, so clear and decisive. Freed from separateness, feeling one with the universe, everything including myself had become at once unique and equal. If God was the word for this presence in which I was absorbed, then everything was either holy or nothing. No distinction was possible. All was meaningful, complete as it was, each bird, bud, midge, mole, atom, crystal of total importance in itself. As in the notes of a great symphony, nothing was large or small, nothing of more or less importance to the whole. I now saw that wholeness and holiness are one. And that's all I got from uh, what was uh, on the internet. But listening to the podcast, there was a, a bit more after it. She talked about different uh, sort of changes in vision. Uh, she talked about the fact that she couldn't convince any of her friends of this. She tried once with a close friend uh, for over several conversations until she finally realized her friend wasn't really getting it. Uh, she decided she tried to talk to family members and, and people like that. And... 
She described the, the reaction she got as people giving disrespect to what was most deserving of respect. And she decided never to speak of it. Uh, apparently, a little bit after this, she met Alan Watts and a few people and listened to them talk about something that she recognized as being akin to her experience, but that they didn't seem to really understand it in, in a in a personal sense. They were they were kind of looking at it intellectually. There is a mosquito flying around me. I hope he doesn't bite me during this talk. And uh, eventually she meets either, I've forgotten whether it's Maizumi or Yasutani Roshi, and uh, becomes part of the Los Angeles Zen Center. Uh, and apparently she's passed away, and this book came out in 1986. Like I say, if you can find a copy, let me know. Uh, so I can look at it some more. Uh, and People asked me to comment on this, and I. It's interesting stuff. This sort of mystical experience is, I think, more common than we realize. I think a lot of people have it and often don't know what to do with it. I think probably just given what I gleaned from listening to her experience, I think probably almost all of us uh, who have had this sort of experience eventually end up feeling like we've misused it or let it down or kind of not lived up to it. It's, it's difficult to describe. I'll just give you my own sort of thing. Uh, those of you who've been reading my books and watching these YouTube videos for a while have heard of the experience that I had while walking across the bridge on my way to Tsuburaya Productions one morning. Uh, I've told the story a number of times. It's in my book Hardcore Zen, and then I wrote about it again in my book There Is No God and He Is Always With You. Uh, so uh, those are the two main, and I, I think I've done videos about it and stuff. And rather than try, trying to describe the experience itself, I think what's more useful maybe is to describe what happened after, you know, <laughs> because I don't think I've done a lot of that. So for me, when this thing happened, uh, walking across the bridge, uh, it was as, well, now I can't find the, the piece of writing, but she talks about it as an Im immeasurable moment or something. Uh, same thing with me. I don't know how long this took by the clock. It could have been like that. Uh, but it also felt, in experiential terms, like it encompassed all time. I know that sounds crazy, but it seemed like all of time, from from infinite time. I'm not even, I was going to say from the Big Bang and stuff, but I think it just goes even way beyond that. Uh, experienced in one really narrow instant. Uh, and I think that's probably uh, the, the common thing uh, that happens to, to a lot of us. And the, what happened afterwards, I used to think of it in terms of confidence. One of the things I noticed about Nishijima Roshi, my teacher, was that he was extraordinarily confident. Uh, and when I say confidence, I think people might get the wrong impression that it was a kind of arrogance. I often uh, mistook Nishima Roshi's confidence for arrogance. Uh, it, it wasn't an egotistical confidence like, I am right all the time. It was just a kind of inability to be wrong. <laughs> I know, yeah, I know, 
don't write into me and tell me how I'm going to start a cult and everything. But I, I had that too. I had the inability uh, to be wrong. Everything I did was just exactly the right thing. Now, this doesn't mean that it, everything I did would be judged by a court of law or my peers or whoever as being the right thing. In fact, maybe a lot of things that I did would have been judged as the wrong thing. But they were exactly what this, uh, this body, this Brad, needed to do. This, this Brad had a trajectory it was going to take and now there was no longer this sort of ego sense that was trying to interrupt it and make it do what the ego wanted it to do. It was just going to do exactly what it was supposed to do. And, and if what it was supposed to do was going to be viewed as wrong by the people who you know, were around, well, so be it. It was just going to go that way. This is not to say that I did anything terrible at the time or anything like that, but I'm just saying that, that I don't feel like, uh, you know, if you polled all the people I knew who were around me at the time, that they would have said, yeah, Brad exact, you know, acted in exactly the right way every time. I don't think they would have said that. But I, I had that experience that there was nothing there was no question about what I needed to do. And everything was very uh, like that for I don't know how long. <laughs> and uh, this is one thing that in, when I think about the experience as, a, as an experience that happened in the past, what interests me most about it is the fact that I don't know even what year it happened. So, but my guess would be in the late 90s, and my guess would be that it carried on for two or three months of just this sort of purity of, of being able to, to just kind of, everything happened just like it should. Uh, but eventually that, that faded away, and things became very difficult and rough. And I did the same thing that uh, Flora Courtois did. I tried to explain it to my friends and they reacted badly. I tried to explain it to other people in Nishijima Roshi's group and that went really badly. Uh, I did, though, luckily have Nishijima Roshi there at the time and he never did anything so much as, you know, I confirm that this is the true experience of enlightenment, my son live long and prosper, or whatever, you know, I don't know what he would have said. Uh, it wasn't necessary. It, it, it was absolutely unnecessary, but I could see that we were, that this was what he was trying, had been trying to communicate, and, and I, this became real clear. And that was when he did his, uh, his uh, Dharma transmission ceremony with me, some, sometime around in when all this was happening, when, when everything was still very pure and secure. That was, you know, by, by the clock, I don't even have a watch anymore, 20 odd years ago when, when all that happened, at least, right? I, I, it had to be in the late 90s, so that makes it at least 20 years ago, maybe even more than 20 years ago. And over that time, if I look back on my life, I feel like I've kind of squandered it. The, the best thing that I did with it was to write some books about it and to try to put it out there and to try to be very careful with those books that they were saying the proper thing. And I still feel good about the books. And, you know, when I've lectured about it, uh, lecturing about it is kind of hit and miss. It, it, uh, it sort of depends. It's, it's a bit like uh, being a musician 
uh, in a band that has some improvisation to it. This is why I'm a big fan of King Crimson, who I'm going to go see on, on Friday here in at the Greek Theater in L.A., uh, because they have these uh, improvisational passages to their music, and it's a bit like that. And, and if you listen to King Crimson, uh, as I have, because I got a bunch of the box sets of their recordings, there are nights when it was brilliant, and there are nights where they're just kind of noodling around. And I feel like, and there's more nights where they're noodling around. And I feel like that's that's kind of what, what what happens to me in lectures. There's there's a there's a certain amount of it and, uh, that I can get to if the audience is with me, uh, and if they're with me, and if we're going into the the space together, uh, something can come out, and it happens to come out of this mouth. But I feel it's it's contributed to by everyone who's in the room. If I have an audience that's kind of hostile to it and it's not going to let it happen, then it can't happen. Uh, so, and and then there's often the sort of middling audience, which is a more common thing, where you know you got, you know, a third of the room is with you, and the other two thirds are kind of like spacing out or whatever. And sometimes something good can come out of that. So, uh, you know, that's that's how it goes. And 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 like uh, Flora Courtois, I feel like. In a lot of ways, I, I squandered it and wandered away from it and didn't get it quite right and failed uh, to to um, convey it properly. But the, but that's still the ego talking, you know. That's still that kind of judgment talking. Uh, what needed to happen happened. What needed to have yeah. What needed to happen happened. And what needs to happen now continues to happen, and I'm doing it on YouTube videos and trying my best to make it work that way, and we'll see how that goes. And yeah, I don't know how much else I can comment. I feel like what I read sounded genuine, uh, not phony or forced. Uh, she seems like the real deal, apparently. She's passed on uh, since then, so uh, don't go try to look her up, but uh, you might meet some people who know her. Uh, since she was in Los Angeles, I might be able to find some people who knew her, but um, that, uh, yeah, that's kind of interesting. I, I haven't met anybody who said she knew her, or they knew her, or whatever. Uh, so, so there you go. I'm talking about a book that you can't possibly find anywhere. I'll see if I can leave links to the Rochester Zen Center, and if I can find it again, the links to the, uh, the actual text of the book that's on some website. I don't know if I can find it again. <laughs> so if I found it, you'll see it on the uh, links if you're watching on YouTube, and if I didn't, you won't. Uh, so there you go. That's my opinion about Flora Courtois' enlightenment experience. Before I end, I also want to mention uh, the blog is back, hardcorezen.info, and I'm putting new stuff or new old stuff on there. Uh, I'm putting up uh, the chapters that I found that I'd written for a book that was going to be called The Zen of Godzilla. I put up the, uh, the pitch that I made to my publishers uh, last week, and then yesterday I put up what I think was probably intended to be the first chapter. I'm not even really sure of that, but... I said it in the blog that I that it was the first chapter. I don't know if it was really going to be the first chapter. Anyway, maybe that'll be interesting to you to read this unreleased book. And uh, the podcast, I'm starting to put more stuff on that, so listen up. And I'm working on something that's going to be an all-new podcast instead of just uh, putting the, the 
audio of these videos up, but uh, we'll see once I get that done. And if you want to send money to me, you can send it to hardcorezen.info slash donate. Well, you don't send it there. That's where you find my links. hardcorezen.info slash donate. You'll find links to my Patreon and PayPal accounts. That is my only way of making a living these days. Actually, Google AdSense said that they owe me $100. So, hey, <laughs> I don't know what that comes from, but I just got a letter in the mail. Asking for my current address, uh, or yeah, well, anyway, what? Yeah, it was a letter from in the mail to my old address. Anyway, whatever. Just donate if you want, and this is offered for free, and I really appreciate those donations. And if you can't donate or don't want to donate, forget about it. That's fine. You got it for free. Uh, we will see you next time. Have a good time all the time. Bye.